Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. In this sense, we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised it is faithful and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and God in good deeds not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you, Jude Givens, for that scripture reading from your brand new Bible. Let's pray. Loving God, we ask that you might illumine our hearts and minds. Pray that the scripture read and proclaimed might be for us your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray you would speak to each one of us this morning in our homes and us as a community. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So a question for you that you can respond to in the comments section if you like. What's a daily or weekly practice that you have found life-giving in these days of quarantine? What's a daily or weekly habit you or your household have observed that has been nourishing for the soul or mind or body during these homestay days? If you would like, you can write that in the comments section now. One of the great things about serving as pastor of Knox Presbyterian Church is the remarkable community God has assembled in all of you. And I praise God get to be a part of it. We recently formed a task force at Knox to look into our congregation's eventual re-entry into our physical campus on 225 South Hill Avenue, and I left that group's first Zoom meeting positively inspired. Now, the work, not so inspiring. Planning for re-entry is complex and challenging with a host of safety and logistical factors to consider, but the people on the task force definitely inspiring. We have physicians like Karen Kim and Jeff Riddell able to provide medical expertise. We have those with wisdom and experience in human resources like Robin Howard who can be mindful of how changes impact staff. We have Jay Cooper who works with re-entry issues related to stadiums. We have Christy Jenstead who works on re-entry at an academic institution. We have elders leading ministry of worship and outreach and facilities, Janice Peters, Greg Kilpatrick, and Kent Chesty. We have Pastor Alley, who not only serves as associate pastor with us, but also works at the 
presbytery and can bring insights from that presbytery to us. The minds and breadth of experience and faith at the table, or rather on the Zoom call, leave me saying, praise the Lord. And I love hearing what you all are thinking and the insights you have that inform my thinking. And I'll admit it helps that some of you have written books and commentaries and articles that I can then read. Thank you, by the way, for that. John, Mark, Marianne, Oliver, Todd, Tommy, Linda, Pam, and others. Some of you have offered lectures or sermons that I've been privileged to hear. And this last Wednesday, as a part of an all-day event at Fuller, I had the chance to hear Dr. Cynthia Erickson, a longtime member and elder of Knox, share on the topic of practicing resilience in COVID-19. She noted from her studies of trauma that we are in the midst of at least two broad and identifiable causes of trauma, which I thought was a helpful framing of the day that we are in. One cause of trauma, she noted, was COVID-19 and the loss that has represented for lives and livelihood. More than 100,000 people have been killed in this country already by the disease and the numbers continue to grow. That is traumatic. And she noted a second cause of trauma, the recent killing of George Floyd and the protests spearheaded by Black Lives Matter, they've highlighted another cause of trauma. They've highlighted the legacy of slavery and how systemic racism continues to exist as an oppressive force on communities of color today. These are traumatic times, she reminded us, and I found myself saying, amen, amen. So how does one live faithfully in such times? Well, the title of Cynthia's talk revealed at least one prescription she has for people of faith in days like these, practicing resilience in COVID-19. That was the title of her talk, practicing resilience. If we are to love God and neighbor, care for the hurting, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, work to change unjust systems, we need resilience. And her talk emphasized resilience, not simply as an idea, but a practice. There are habits one can adopt, she argued, to help one stay whole and engaged in the world. There are habits one can adopt so as not to be overwhelmed by the loss of these times or the weight of the challenges before us. Practices, habits that set a healthy life rhythm that seems so vital to me for our day. Habits. They are important not only because of the trauma we are dealing with, they're vital because we are still experiencing life in various forms of quarantine. There's a video you might have seen comparing our lives under quarantine to life up in a capsule, like an astronaut out in space. The video depicts a cartoon astronaut hovering above the Earth alone in a capsule where they will remain until such time as they are scheduled to return to Earth. Now, the astronaut is forced to confront a new environment Instead of daily moving between home and work and a gym and the outdoors, the astronaut has one environment, that capsule. And instead of having the daily rhythm of the sun rising and setting in a 24-hour period, the astronaut is out in space. 
And in a typical 24-hour day aboard an orbiting spacecraft, an astronaut will experience 15 dawns. You have the option to follow the news back home or not follow it at all. What do you do? How do you avoid going crazy out in space, overwhelmed with the options? How do you avoid losing all sense of time and space and self in that new environment? Well, the answer, of course, is habits. The astronaut, if they are to survive and thrive and do good and important work in space, knows they need habits. They sleep at the same time every 24 hours. They exercise at a set time every day. They eat at specific times. They email and correspond with people back at home at set times every day. And they work during set hours and have a different space for each of these different activities. Quarantined out in space, the astronaut knows that to stay healthy in mind, body, and spirit day after day, habits are key. They are life. As our lives gradually shift now from a time of quarantine to the slow and phased lifting of restrictions, it seems an opportunity to ask, what habits should I, what habits should we be developing? As a new way of life now stands before us, a post-quarantine way of life, but still one with many safety restrictions and concerns, this seems an opportune time to think about habits, if we are to know a healthy and thriving future in this next phase, a thriving future together. And our scriptures, it turns out, have a great deal to say about habits daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly habits. In fact, much of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, are filled with habits that God's people are meant to observe, habits that are presented in the forms of ordinances, laws, and statutes. They were given to God's people through Moses at Mount Sinai. And at that point in time, the ancient Hebrew people had been liberated from slavery in Egypt. They've been wandering in the wilderness of Sinai. They knew one rhythm of life in Egypt, an oppressive and dehumanizing rhythm. They had known a way of life that had exploited them and their bodies. Once liberated out in the wilderness, they still had that trauma of enslavement carried in their bodies. But now they had the opportunity and challenge to develop a more healthy and life-enhancing rhythm. They were like astronauts out in space, there in the wilderness, having the job of setting new rhythms of life. And praise God, they are given healthy habits to observe by the hand of the very one who liberated them. One of those habits we see show up time and again is the observance of Sabbath. The habit of rest, it's not only one of the Ten Commandments, but we see it time and again in the laws and statutes of the Hebrew scriptures. Enslaved in Egypt, the ancient Hebrew people knew no rest. In ancient times, slaves were not given a day off. Now, in the wilderness, God's people were told to develop that habit. They were to rest one day a week and then extend that gift to others to the immigrant, to those who might work for them, even to the land and the animals who dwell on 
the land. The Hebrew scriptures remind us it's not enough just to think, oh, rest would be good. It's important to make rest a habit, a weekly, a monthly, an annual habit as it is presented in the Old Testament. That way a people can know healthy, thriving life. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus famously critiques and defies Sabbath observance as it was practiced in his day. You remember Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. He heals a paralytic on the Sabbath. He allows his disciples to pick grain from a field on the Sabbath. And when the Pharisees criticized him for this, he doesn't say Sabbath observance should be thrown to the wind. Instead, he says, Sabbath, yeah, let's talk about Sabbath. Is Sabbath about doing good or evil? Is it about life or death? Is it about feeding the hungry or denying the hungry food? Was humanity created to serve the Sabbath? Or was Sabbath created to give life to humanity? Jesus, by his actions, argued, of course, the latter. Jesus reminds us a habit can lose its original purpose and become empty ritual or worse, something that keeps the sick from getting healing or the hungry from getting food. And habits we know cannot and will not save us. Only God can save us. And yet, and yet... The same Jesus who healed on the Sabbath would call his disciples at times so that they could know quiet and rest. He called them to Sabbath observance. Jesus would invite his disciples with him to observe habits of prayer. And the teaching of Jesus, including his great commandment to love God and to love neighbor, if we want to make them more than simply ideas, then they must be incorporated in practices, right? And when such practices become a regular part of our life and routine, well, we call them habits. Habits can lose their original purpose and become empty rituals, but habits can also be means through which we live out love. The book of Hebrews, it lifts up not only Christ's work and his love, but also the importance of living out that love in habits. The book of Hebrews famously portrays Jesus as the great high priest. He's lifted up as one who represented the people before God and represented God before the people as a high priest did. And just as the high priest offered an annual sacrifice, symbolically restoring the relationship between God and God's people broken by sin, so Christ, we read in Hebrews, offered the perfect sacrifice. He offered his own life, one of perfect faithfulness to God. And because he is our high priest, because he bore the very image of God, the sacrifice was made not only on his behalf, but on behalf of all the people, all those joined with him by faith. God received this precious offering. We read and extended love and forgiveness to those united with Christ by faith. And yet we read in today's passage, this love doesn't automatically or somehow magically flow in God's people out into the world. Habits are called for to nurture that gift of Christ's love, Christ's life in community. And one of those habits we read is meeting together in order to provoke one another to love and good deeds. 
Do not neglect to meet together, the writer of Hebrews exhorts us, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. There is the bad habit of neglecting to meet together, and there is the good habit of meeting together regularly, habitually, for mutual encouragement in order to know life in Christ, in order to live in love. Don't neglect life nurturing, love encouraging, mutually inspiring habits like assembling together. The life Christ extends to us is enjoyed and nourished in habits. Now in these days when we can't assemble together in person, what do we do? How do we live out this habit of gathering together that we might spur one another on to love and good deeds? How do we live out the habit of mutual encouragement or holding fast to our confessions of faith? Well, think of us like astronauts out in space, forced to develop new habits if we are to thrive and live in love in this new environment. Certainly watching the live stream or watching the Sunday service later on video is one such gathering practice in quarantine days. It's not the same as meeting together in person, but many of us have found it quite meaningful all the same, this remote gathering we do together each Sunday. Some of us find daily morning and evening prayers we observe at 7.30 a.m. at 9 o'clock p.m. meaningful, or the weekly Bible study meaningful, or small group gatherings or study groups, or gatherings with others in mission groups meaningful. But there are other habits you have developed too that have helped you know life in these times that we are now in. Here are a few of those habits that you have shared. Jennifer writes about how evening prayers with Knox have made a huge difference for her. Ariel writes about walking to work when she needs to. Monica writes that checking in with groups or friends weekly is a new practice and one she finds life-giving. Emily notes that her kids and she like making sun tea in a big glass jug out in the garden during the day then cooling it off to enjoy drinking together throughout the day. Bike riding and being out in garden nurtures our souls, she notes. Annalise writes about how baking keeps her sane, and there's some great baking going on in our household too. And Toby writes of how walking 1.5 miles a day is a way that she feels nourishment in these COVID-19 days you surely are developing or have developed practices as well. Legendary composer Tchaikovsky believed he had to take a walk of exactly two hours a day and that if he returned even a few minutes early, it would be calamitous. The famous philosopher Immanuel Kant had neighbors in Königsberg who could set their clocks by his 3.30 walk practices like taking walks, whether it's Toby's 1.5 miles or however much you are used to walking outside, they're vital for producing good work for many, especially in days of quarantine. And if we're to truly do that important work of loving God and neighbor, we need habits. Friends, as we now gradually return to workplaces, as restaurants and other organizations start to gradually open, don't neglect healthy habits. In fact, think of life-nourishing, love, 
fostering, mutually encouraging habits you and or your household might take on, for we know life in Christ and we live in love through habits. At a protest and vigil two Sundays ago that Knox and a host of other Pasadena churches co-sponsored, one of the central speakers exhorted his listeners if they truly valued black lives, engage in this habit, he said. Andre Henry is an artist, a writer, and the program manager for the Racial Justice Institute at Evangelicals for Social Action. And after an hour of collectively envisioning a more just world after prayers that look to God for hope and healing, Andre made the kind of move we see the author of Hebrews make in today's text, which shows up near the end of that book. Andre said, let's put ideas into action. And he challenged listeners to engage in the practice of contacting a representative daily to push for a budget that prioritized the needs of marginalized communities, a budget that reflected the values of racial justice. Habits, he reminded us, daily habits, are we how we not just envision love of neighbor, but live it out. Habits are funny things. You don't always experience growth or movement forward when you engage in them, gathering for worship, live stream, or daily prayer. You might do it and, and not feel much spiritually is happening. Trying to bring about change in the world, you might think you're hitting your head against a wall, trying again and not seeing a result. You might have served on a church committee and served for years and wonder, am I making a difference, but so much is happening that we don't see, and that's the power of habits. Jacob Rees made a famous statement about this invisible power in habits. Jacob was a Danish immigrant to the United States who would spend periods of his life in poverty, but over time he became a successful photographer and journalist in the late 19th and early 20th century. His photos of children living in the squalor of New York City slums helped prompt national legislative reforms. His photos were a part of a national awakening when Reese would grow weary from the daily grind of his work or feel lonely, wonder at times if it was making any difference. Here is what he would do. He wrote, when nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at a rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it would split in two. And I know it was not the last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Friends, may we not only hold Christ's love in our minds and hearts, may we live in love. May we make love a habit. We might not see change today or tomorrow or even months or years from now in ourselves or our world, but one day, one day, that stone we are chipping away at, one day, it will be split in two. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.